Okay, so we're, we're coming to the table here, and before I get started, I need to confess to you two sins, okay? Number one, I came to church without breath mints, okay? You never do that as a pastor. Okay, here's number two. Number two, at the end of the first service, I realized that during the 10.15 to 10.45 hangout time, I realized I didn't have my breath mints that I always have. And outside that door, there was a purse, and on top of that purse was a full thing of gum. And since we are coming to the table, I need to tell you that I'm not quite sure who you are in the worship team that had a purse that had gum on the top. I took three pieces. I feel better about coming to the table now. I just had to get that off my chest there. Well, you know, we have, we have been talking a lot about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a disciple. We use those terms interchangeably. Um, we, we've been talking about there's a fan who's an enthusiastic admirer, and then we've also talked about being truly a follower of King Jesus, and there is nothing like it. And, and I know that sometimes in our following, there comes to be a chance where we're going to encounter uncomfortable situations. You've been in an uncomfortable situation, right? This past summer... I had the beautiful privilege, this was not uncomfortable at all, to take my wife of 20 years and our four kids to Grand Cayman and celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. Awesome, awesome time. Thank you. That's, yes, we had a great time. We had lots of fun. On, when you go to Grand Cayman, one of the things that you're supposed to do, from what I found out, is you're supposed to go to Stingray City and feed the stingrays. That's what you're supposed to do when you go to uh, Grand Cayman. So we rented a boat. This boat was chartered by a guy, by the, or uh, steered, piloted, whatever you want to say, by a guy named Pablo. We were waiting on this marina at 8 o'clock in the morning. He comes around with this massive boat for our family. He's got John 3.16 tattooed to the back of his shoulder blades. He's got Psalm 23 on his forearm. I mean, he is just, he's from Jamaica. He's throwing out, hey, man, hey, man, all kinds of stuff. Man, we get on that boat, and right when we're taxiing out to go to feed the stingrays, he said, it's really important that you understand how to feed a stingray. He said, you know, you're going to get a fish. Here's the key thing. First thing is put your thumb down like this and then put the fish right here. And then just hold it under the water. The stingray will come up and just suck it right out of your fish. Is that uncomfortable for you? Uh, yeah. So, so he said, don't put your thumb up. That's not going to be good. Put your thumb down. Have the fish there. And it comes and it swims over and it takes out. Now, we got into the water and our family, it was a little, little tense at times. And it was so fun. I mean, they were everywhere, um, and then all of a sudden, there's a couple of other boats that pulled up, and then they got out into the water, and so we're about 25 people into the water. There's stingrays all over us. We're feeding the stingrays. We're snorkeling, and then somebody yells the most dreaded word, and that is, that's exactly what they yelled. That's exactly what they yelled. So here's where it gets really uncomfortable, and so here I am with my family. I have Molly on this side. I have Luke over here. And somebody yells that dreaded word, and I take a look, and I see this behemoth, this hammerhead shark, because remember, the water is blue. And sometimes we're better when we swim in North Carolina because we don't know what's down there. <laughs> but at this particular time, I knew what was coming for us. It was, a, it was a hammerhead shark 15 yards away swimming right for us. Now, you football people, let me get you to understand. First and 10 plus 5. Okay, we're talking about a first down plus 5. Okay, that's how far this thing was coming. Big shark. Now, I do have a tendency to exaggerate. 
I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm coming to the table in just a minute. I need to be honest, okay? I have a tendency to maybe to exaggerate a little bit. And so I asked the guide, Pablo, I said, how big do you think that that shark was? He says, oh, man, that was at least nine feet. I said, you're kidding me. So I'm telling you either he's exaggerating, but I'm not. I'm telling you what the guide said. He lives here. It was a nine-foot hammerhead shark swimming right to us. And at that very moment, we realized who truly is a follower of Jesus, and that's Luke. Because Luke started to walk on water. <laughs> okay? Luke put his foot here and his hand, and he is literally walking on water back to the boat. And I want to let you know something, that there's sometimes in life where we get into uncomfortable situations. And I will tell you this, having a, having a nine-foot hammerhead shark swim towards your family 15 yards away, that is an uncomfortable situation. But you see, the Bible teaches us that there are many situations in life that are uncomfortable, even when you say, yes, King Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And it's important for us to understand that when we talk about saying yes to Christ in terms of salvation and saying yes to Christ in terms of following him, that we understand we are going to go through tough times. We will be afflicted. We will be challenged in our faith. We will go through situations where we will suffer. We will go through situations where we question. We will go through situations as followers that sometimes just knock us down. But what we have to see in the text this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter in just a minute, about how we can respond to that type of suffering as a follower. A couple of weeks ago, Brian took us to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I'm going to read that verse for us. It says this, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So, so we realized a couple of weeks ago that we realized that the invitation to come to God, to come to Jesus and become a follower of him, not just someone who sits in a pew or sits in a, sits in a church, not someone who just attends, but someone who is all in, he says the invitation is given to everyone, if anyone. We learned that two weeks ago really passionately. We learned a couple, two weeks ago that we said we know that we come to God with a passionate pursuit. Brian took that word to, to come to him. And he broke it down and said, it's, it's a passionate pursuit. It's everything we have to come after him. We also learned that we need to desire ourselves, that we in, on this side of sin have desires in our hearts. And sometimes those desires are, 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 are sinful and prideful. And then, and, and then the text says, hey, you dislike yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so it says, if you take up your cross, he, he, you deny yourself Deny our desires for him. And then the next part, it says this. The Bible also says, take up your cross. And before we get to 1 Peter and how we respond to suffering, I really want to make sure that we understand the context of what Jesus was saying when he said, take up your cross. Because when he said that statement to the audience he was saying it to, they understood that what was insinuated is that they would truly suffer. Because when he wrote, that, wrote those words, take up your cross, they understood that what would take place, you see, the Romans, they, they basically understood and created the torture known as crucifixion. And to crucify someone was to really to make them suffer. You see, the process was really this way. They would take someone, possibly someone who was rebelling against the Roman form of government, which is some of the Jews would do, they would rebel against Rome, and then they would be crucified. 
And so what would happen is before they were nailed to a tree, they would basically take their hands, bind their hands, put, put their back to the, uh, to the person whipping them, take their hands, bind it to a post where it would stretch the back and the skin on the back and they would be whipped, almost beaten to death. They wouldn't die. They had actually guards there waiting for them to make sure that they wouldn't die. The back was completely opened up. You could possibly even see bones, some commentators have even said. And then what would happen is that they would take the vertical piece of the tree, the vertical piece of the cross, and they would give it to him and say, now you carry it to where you're going to be crucified. And so when Jesus was saying to them, take up your cross and follow me, they had, unlike we have, an understanding that I am going to suffer for him. And sometimes in our culture, in our context, we might be able to water that down and get really upset when we're afflicted and not even understand that Jesus said this was going to happen. And so the Romans, basically what would take place is you would take that cross and we know that Jesus, even in his, that is fully God and fully man, that he took that beam, was walking down the Via Della Rosa and we know that he even struggled carrying that cross. We know that it was difficult for him to carry that cross. The fully God-man, Jesus himself, King Jesus, was struggled in carrying that beam on his open wound back to a place called Golgotha where he was crucified. And so what, what, what do we learn? What do we learn as a disciple? What do we learn as a follower of God? It would be, it would be ridiculous for Brian, Jerry, and myself to come up here and say, listen, I want you to accept Jesus, I want you to follow Jesus, and your life is going to be absolutely perfect. That wouldn't be fair to you as pastors to stand up and to be able to tell you that and declare to you that. You know that we live in a sin-cursed world and we know that things happen that just beat us up and get us down. And so I want us to take a look at First Peter and how we can respond before we come to the table. I think everybody in here would say, uh, Matt, what, you would ask the question, maybe you would ask the question, are you saying that I'm going to be afflicted by a shark coming after me and that I'm going to have to die at a cross? That, that, that's not what we're saying right now. What we are saying is to really help you understand that we will go through tough situations, that they are coming. And let's take a look at how we can respond. I want you to look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. Peter is, um, is writing a letter to believers who had been dispersed all throughout Jerusalem. And if anyone understood persecution, it was Peter himself. And so um, he was beaten, threatened, punished, and jailed for preaching the word. He knew what it took to endure without bitterness and without losing hope. So here is Peter writing a letter to encouraged believers as they are suffering to press on and hold on to the beautiful hand of God himself. And so that's our encouragement for today. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 and what it says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit 
of glory and the God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Next verse, and it says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly, the ungodly and the sinner? Last verse, verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I think there's a couple of lessons that we can learn about being followers of God in the midst of suffering. And lesson number one is this. Followers should not be surprised at suffering for Christ. The Bible says very clearly, it says, Beloved, he's got a love for them, the people he's writing to. He wants them to be followers. He wants them to be disciples. He wants them to hold on to the hope that they have in Jesus. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Commentators say that the word fiery trial is a reference to Nero, who actually burned Christians alive. He burned them, lit them on fire, because of following after Christ. So this stuck out to them. It clearly tells us not to be surprised, and he goes into the purpose of our suffering. Listen, he goes after he says, hey, don't be surprised. I want you to know what the purpose of suffering is. Don't be, surpri don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Here it is upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The purpose that which we find ourselves in and that we suffer for Christ is there so that we can be refined in our following of King Jesus. It is there for a purpose. It is there under God's will. It is under his sovereign hand. He uses it to refine us, to call us in to more action and to follow him with a passionate pursuit. He says, I want you to do that. What did Jesus say in Psalm 23? Psalm 23, it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here it is, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, here it is, they comfort me. You've been in uncomfortable situations by the afflictions that we have. Here's the, the psalmist writing, David's writing, hey, your, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I want to encourage you, don't be surprised when those trials and those situations come. Number two, followers of Jesus should rejoice in our sufferings. Let me just basically say right now, there's many of you right now that are in the midst of suffering or going through a very difficult time. And the thought of rejoicing in the middle of your suffering is like sandpaper to that situation. I get that. But what I have when I was studying this, just what it popped out to me is that, and even witnessing my own mother-in-law who's going through stage four cancer, is I have witnessed her rejoice in Jesus, which makes it look like she's rejoicing in the suffering. Who is going to enjoy the suffering? Paul, when he went to jail with Silas, it says Paul and Silas were in prison and they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were rejoicing in Jesus in the midst of their suffering. It's incredibly important for us as a congregation to say, hey, listen, I'm gonna be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I'm not gonna be a fan. I want you to follow. I wanna follow. And in the midst of the stuff that God allows to come into my life, I'm going to rejoice in him, even though I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm going to choose him. And you know as well as I do that that encourages each other 
to passionately continue to pursue and not give up when we see other people doing just what the scripture's teaching. I have had a front row seat, as I mentioned, to my mother-in-law who has stage four cancer. The front row seat that I have had is watching her walk through what's going on. When they say chemo is not working, and so we're on the, what I call the Bruce Radcliffe drug. Bruce is a member of our church, and it's called immunotherapy, and she's on that drug. And I've seen her walk through it. Greater than that is watching my wife walk through it and seeing her trust and her rejoicing in a good God. You are suffering. And to sit there and suggest that we should rejoice in that, you can almost just get frustrated. And like I said, it's like sandpaper. It's like salt in the wound. But let's look who we're turning to. Let's not look at the situation. Let's look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We rejoice in him. And when we rejoice in him, it's like we're in the midst of that suffering and it looks like we're rejoicing in the, in the pain. When we are rejoicing in King Jesus, and that's a gift to those that you're around as a follower. Followers of Jesus must evaluate their suffering. Number three, followers of Jesus must evaluate their suffering. It says, it says in verse uh, 15, verse 15 it says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. And we look in that text and we say, well, what is he saying there? Well, the murderer and evildoer and a meddler, that when you, when you do those things and you claim that you are suffering, you're not suffering, you're reaping what you sow. And what Peter is encouraging us to do in the midst of our suffering is he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to evaluate, are you really suffering for Jesus by the will of God? He's put that in your life so that you would suffer, or are you just completely in disobedience to him, and you are reaping what you sow? Sometimes we can say in our marriages, oh my gosh, I am suffering in my marriage. But is the issue really that you're not obeying a God for unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness? We must, as followers, make sure that we evaluate why we are suffering. And I think the, the last thing I want you to see there is, number four is, followers of Jesus must entrust their lives to a great and awesome God. To a great and awesome God. The songs that we're going to finish with this morning, I pray will move you into a, a, worship, a time of worship that will help you declare that he is good and that he is a great God. It, it, says, um, it, it says in verse 19, look at verse 19. It's the last verse that we have for this morning right now. Verse 19 says this. Verse 19, for it is, therefore, he's saying, just since all the things that I just said, here's what I want you to know. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, some versions have the word commit, their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word entrust or the word commit is basically meaning it's a deposit for safekeeping. So here you are, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm placing my faith in you, I'm entrusting my soul to you, 
You're saying, I'm depositing it in you, and this bank won't collapse. It's not going to go under. It is the king of the universe. It is King Jesus, and it's saying, hey, I want you to entrust me. I want you to commit your life. I want you to deposit it in me. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit or I entrust my spirit. So we're sitting here this morning. I get ready to come to the table, but in, in addition to that, we're on week four to the follow series. And so I've got some questions for you. Are you following, are you allowing your suffering or circumstances to rob you and redefine your belief in a good God? Are you allowing your suffering to rob you of good theology and that there is a good and great God. I like the statement said by a pastor, live according to your theology, not your anxiety. Live according to your theology, not your anxiety. Our theology is rooted in that we serve a great God who gave his one and only son so that we could be redeemed. That's the beautiful message of the gospel. That it's not by works that we boast, it is in him and through him and because of him. That is it. Then we see down here is, is I would ask you another question. Is are you allowing your situation to prevent you from truly being a follower of God? Are you saying, maybe you're saying, hey, this situation is allowing me just to simply be a spectator. I'm in the stands, I'm a fan, and that's as good as it's going to get because God said this, did this, did that, and he didn't do this, he didn't do that, and that's why I'm just gonna be a fan. We live in a sin-stained world, and Jesus was clear that if we are going to follow him, we would suffer like he did. And I would um, uh, wanna read you a text of scripture. And this is my encouragement before we come to the table. Here it is. It's found in 2 Corinthians. The word Corinthianize means corrupt. So they're so corrupt, they got two letters to be written to them to straighten out all of their mess, right? And so we find this in 2 Corinthians. And here it is. It says this in, in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Then he jumps over and he uses the word affliction again in chapter four and he talks about this in verse eight. It says, we are afflicted in every way. Our afflictions, it's not just one way that we are afflicted, it's multifaceted, it's various. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Then it goes down to verse 16 or 17 of chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction, here's what I want you to know, the affliction that you go through has an expiration date. Rest in that. Believe that. Believe God for that. And in the midst of that, don't allow it to hinder you from running hard and fast after him and truly being a follower. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are 
eternal. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 119, verse 71 says this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. Listen to the next part of the verse. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. They have a holy and redeemable purpose, all of them, all of them. We can rejoice in them. We need to evaluate whether we really are suffering. We need to expect that they're going to come. And at the end of the day, we sit there and go, oh, where am I giving my hope? Where is my hope? I'm entrusting it. I'm depositing it into the soul, the, the living God. I'm giving, it to my, I'm giving my soul to the living God of the universe. And so I, I, would, I would ask you to do this as we come to the table. It is incredibly important that you make sure that you are right before a holy God before you take the elements. It, it is incredibly important, number one, that you, are a, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are a lot of you have that have crossed that line that you would definitely say, listen, I repented of my sins. I placed my faith in Jesus. I am a Christian. I didn't say you were perfect. You said, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of God. I'm a follower of God. Then this table is for you to come and take the bread and drink the juice and remember the sacrifice that was given to you. And remember that we are to take up our cross, affliction and all, and follow after him as true disciples. So this table, again, is open to those of you that have a relationship with Jesus. And I would even encourage you that, man, if there is something that's wrong before you and God, hey, I confessed my sin before I came here about stealing gum. Then I would encourage you to sit before a holy God and confess your sin before him to make sure that you are walking in a manner that is not perfect, but, but worthy of coming to the table and remembering what he did. And if that's not the case, we'd encourage you, just let the elements pass through. No one is going to judge you whatsoever. But when we come to this table, we realize that we have a call in our lives to, to, to follow after Jesus. Not simply sit in the stands and watch things unfold. To be a participant in the greatest cause that's ever been known to man, the mission of God. And we, ask, we also have a reminder that we come to drink, these, drink the juice and eat the bread. We have a reminder Yes, we're going to be afflicted, but we're not going to let that affliction distract us from serving and serving a God who deserves it. And so they're, they're going to play lightly right now. And what I want to do is give you a moment just to sit in quiet submission and just pray and call out on the name of God. I, I would even say this. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you've been hearing a lot about it from what we've been saying, then I would just I would encourage you, say yes to him for the first time. I repent of my sins and I place my faith in you. Say that with your words, you can pray that out loud, you can pray that however you wish. God desires to have a deep relationship with you. And it first starts with you saying yes. I want the forgiveness that you offer. So let's take some time and let's pray. Let's do that now.
Father God, we come to you right now and we are so grateful for the opportunity to come to this table. We realize, Lord, that there are so many good things that you are doing in the world and we must remember as we come to this table that at the end we know that you win. And Lord, in the season of our lives right now, some of us are overwhelmed by situations and circumstance that really cause us and hinder us from truly following after you, truly coming to you. So Lord, I pray that today you would use the, the words that have been said and you would use this cup and this bread as a reminder of your love for us, that we would not forget it, that it would inspire us and move us to live out the mission of God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask our, uh, those that are serving, deacons and elders, if they would make their way forward right now. We know that what happened when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he gathered his disciples in together, all of his followers. He knew exactly what was going on and what was going to take place. They, not so much. But he took bread and he took a cup and he said, this bread represents my body that is given for you. It is not actually the body of Jesus. It's the, it is the reminder of Jesus' body that was given for us. And then we have the cup. And you see the cup represents the new covenant. Um, we got forgiveness of sins because of a sacrifice of an animal. And Jesus came that is the, without spot or blemish and that he was sacrificed on the, on, the, on the cross. And because of his sacrifice, we go right through Jesus to forget forgiveness of sins. And I would ask you the question, aren't you grateful for the new covenant? That new covenant demonstrates that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. That new covenant represents that Jesus who is who he said he is. And he will do what he said he would do. And because of that, we come to this table reminding ourselves because we're quick to forget that we do all this in the remembrance of him. Not what we've done, but simply but what he's done. And so as the cup is coming to you, I, I would remind you that here at Northwest we have one slot has two cups, okay? So one has the, 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 the bread and one has the, the juice. And so you're taking out of one slot, but there are two cups. Please make sure you're aware of that.
On the night that Jesus was, right before he was betrayed, gathered disciples together. He took bread, they broke it, and he said, each time you eat, eat in remembrance of me. Same way he took the cup. And this beautiful, beautiful cup is a symbol that we have been forgiven of our sins. That we don't have to sacrifice animals. It is the new covenant. That we get forgiveness of sins. That we go to God directly because of having a relationship with Jesus. And this is a representative of, of, of what Jesus did. It says, do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us right now, and then we're going to go ahead and sing. We're going to take up our share fund offering in just a moment. I'd ask you to stand as I pray. Can you go ahead and do that for us? Please stand. I'm going to pray for us as we continue to sing and rejoice in this great God we serve. God in heaven, we, thankful, thankful, we are thankful for who you are. You are so good. We read the back of the book, and we know that we win. So allow us to take a look at this affliction that we're in as followers, and put it into perspective. We know that you, you will win, and we know that you have won, and we know that if we're in you, we will win as well. So God, thank you for the reminder of that through this table. May we continue to lift our voices to you because you deserve it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.